Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert. They're off and running again. So smooth. So sweet. Splendid. Succinct. Just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort or 1,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. Hello and welcome to Wonder Goal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Leboff and joining me in just a moment will be my action colleagues, BJ Cunningham and Anthony DeBundo. The three of us will go on a soccer handicapping adventure as we break down all 10 Premier League matches coming your way this weekend, touch on the Bundesliga, Serie A, La Liga, throw out some underdogs and give out our best bets in the EPL this weekend. We're going to try to do this real quick as best we can. There's a lot of COVID issues going on. So there's some scheduling wonkiness. We're also recording this on Wednesday night. So there's two games on Thursday that need to be played. And BJ lives in Iowa and uh, there is a storm descending on his neighborhood. So we want to get him in and out. And we do wish you the best of luck to you, BJ, and to everybody else who will be affected by the weather. And on that note, we will turn our attention to the footy. And we're going to start at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, where this Tottenham Hotspur Antonio Conte Spurs are plus 425 underdogs hosting Liverpool, who are minus 170 on the money line. The draw is plus 330. This is an 1130 a.m. Sunday kickoff. Neither one of these two teams has played by the time we're recording this, but I mean, it's pretty, we can do our best to assume what Liverpool is going to do to Newcastle. Spurs is a little different with Leicester, but you know, we like to think that one game shouldn't really change a handicap here. Uh, we shouldn't overreact. So let's just get right to it. Spurs, their schedule has been all over the place since Conte's taken over. I think they've only played three Premier League matches and one or two Conference League matches since November 28th. Meanwhile, Liverpool, they've continued to roll. Their metrics are sound everywhere you look because does their defense maybe give up a couple one too many big chances if you're going to contend for title? Sure, but their offense has been able to make up for those issues, those minor blemishes on defense. I do think that their only way I would play this match is a Tottenham Hotspur money line, you know, for fun bet. I don't think there's much value on it. BJ, you disagree, though. You're going to go against Spurs here, aren't you? Yeah, I like Liverpool minus one of plus 15. Oh, stop. I mean, it's hard for me not to square out here with all the COVID issues and injury issues that Tottenham has right now. Going into, we obviously don't know who's going to, you know, be playing on Thursday, but as of right now, Brian Gill, Emerson, Youngman's son, Oliver Skip, Lucas Mora, Sergio Reguilon, and Christian Romero are all going to be out for this weekend's match, which throws a huge loop. And I really don't know how Tottenham are going to compete without all those guys on the field. Now they have been really good. Antonio Conte's four matches in the Premier League, 6.9 expected goals for only 3.5 against, but they didn't exactly face a murderer's row. Got an injury riddled Everton squad, Leeds, Brentford, and Norwich. So pretty easy schedule. This would be their first big test. It's just hard for me not to envision a scenario where Tottenham just gets, doesn't get pinned into there and final third for the entire match with Liverpool's press just being overwhelming. So I have Liverpool projected at minus 165. So I'm going to go with their spread minus one to plus 115. Yeah, I think uh, this is going to be Liverpool on the front foot. And the question will be, can Tottenham find a way to pass through the press? And I don't know if they can, but Anthony, you're a Spurs fan. I know you're not betting aside, but before you do, can you make any case to back, you know, maybe a little sprinkle for those Spurs fans out there? You know, 
if you ask any Spurs fan, they'll tell you this. There's one team that has owned Spurs for the better part of, of five years, six years, um, you know, arguably even more, uh, dating back to even when Spurs were one of the best teams in the league under Pochettino. Uh, it always was kind of Liverpool that that found the way to get the late goal against Tottenham or or that, you know, always had our, our number. And so I really generally don't like the matchup here, but I do think Tottenham has some attacking regression coming. I understand that Harry Kane's numbers are way down in terms of chances created this year, but he's also in the worst finishing slump of his career. Kane has finished above his XG every year that he's been a main striker in this league. This year, 3.8 expected goals, only one goal. Let me take you through some of the numbers on that. So his goals per shot typically range between 0.22 to 0.14. So one out of every five to seven shots, Harry Kane will typically score. 0.22, 0.16, 0.21, 0.14, pretty much steady every year of his career finishing rate above average, uh, well above average, but not, uh, you know, anything crazy that unsustainable this year, 0.03, one of the very 33 shots uh, that Kane has taken has gone in. And I don't expect Kane to remain that low for long. I expect him to snap out of that little funk. He's got regression coming. Someone returned to training today. It does not appear that he's going, that's Wednesday. It does not appear he's going to play Thursday. He may come off the bench because fitness is a concern. From what I'm hearing, sounds like he's coming off the bench Thursday against Leicester. We'll see how he looks, but I'm expecting him to start on Sunday. So I think Tottenham's attack will be fine. I think they'll get a goal here, but I still have some questions about the defense as well. They have not played a good attack under Conte yet. That is a big red flag given the personnel and the questions I have about them so I think Liverpool will score here. I like both teams to score and over two and a half. You can find that at minus 105. That's what I played for this. Uh, I think it's going to be a pretty open game. But like I said, with Tottenham's attacking regression and, and Liverpool being a little more open at the back than, than maybe the title campaign a couple of years ago, I think there will be some goals. Should note that that is the 11.30 a.m. start on Sunday morning. Uh, so now let's look at the rest of the board, starting with the 7.30 a.m. kickoff on Saturday morning, and that's Manchester United odds on minus 190 favorites against Brighton, Graham Potter, Seagulls, who are 5-1 to one on the money line. The draw is plus 350. Man United did not play over the midweek because of a COVID outbreak. Brighton did, and they lost a tight one to Wolves 1-0. I think it's pretty clear who the three of us would like to bet in this one. Uh, it's definitely Brighton. We, we've been going against Manchester United. I think that the market sentiment is a little too high on them just because they switch managers. Have we seen an improvement? Sure, we'd have. But I don't think it warrants this big a number against a team like Brighton that can hang with the big boys. Like they might get beat by a team down the table, but they also can beat the teams who are uh, way above them in the standings. They hung with Liverpool already this season. They've given pretty good accounts of themselves against teams like Manchester United under Grand Potter in his tenure. So I'm going to take a shot here. Five to one is a high number. Most people are probably looking at a play on the spread here instead, but I, I do tend to go towards the money lines rather than spreads here. And the roller coaster is sometimes not that fun, but sometimes it can be. And I'm hoping it is here. I think that Brighton's ability to pass through any press that Ralph Rangnick throws at them does set them up pretty well here. So I'm backing the Seagulls team that was near and dear to our heart for a lot of last season. Not as much this season. Uh, BJ, do you have your Seagulls jersey on Saturday morning? 
Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Brighton plus one at minus 105. You know, obviously Manchester United got their match against uh, Brentford postponed on Tuesday. So, you know, going back to the last two uh, matches against Norwich and Crystal Palace, they weren't really that great. Their pressing numbers were up. They were pressing a lot better. But this is a Brighton team that's the third best team in the Premier League against pressure, third in offensive pass per defense faction and pressure success rate allowed. And we saw it on Wednesday with Enoch and Waipu and Basuma on the field together. It is really, really hard to play the ball to the back and get it moving forward against those two guys because they're two of the best pressing midfielders in the Premier League. The biggest thing I'm looking out for in this one is Brighton's got to be quicker on their build-up play and going forward. They can't do the slow, pragmatic build-up play against Manchester United because that how you beat Manchester United, as we've seen with teams like Liverpool and Manchester City, is you have to be direct and you have to be quick to attack their back line when Fred and Scott McTominay get pushed too far up the field. So Brighton's a very, very good pressing team, top four in passes per defensive action and pressure success rate. So they will be able to win the ball against Manchester United. The question is, can they get it moving forward fast enough? Anthony mentioned it last episode. Their uh, starting two center backs are, are out for this one. Joel Veltman played pretty good alongside, I can't remember the other guy who's alongside, but having Basuma and Mwepu there together, it helps protect that back line. I think Manchester United is pretty overvalued here, especially without Pogba or Victor Lindelof, potentially no Verane and Cavani still. And obviously we still, at, at the time of taking this, I still, or maybe you guys know who's actually out for Manchester United or who tested positive due to COVID. So I only have United projected at plus 107. So I love Brighton plus one at minus 105. Yeah, it's definitely one to keep an eye on for the lineups because this line could fly in a hundred different directions depending on who's in and who's out for United and who knows what's going to happen with Brighton over the next few days with the way that the league's been going. Anthony, you got anything on this one or should we move on to West Ham? Yeah, you know, the injury list is really long for Brighton now and I'm a little bit concerned about our Seagulls. Steven Alzate looks like he, uh, he's still going to be out for this one. Lewis Dunk is going to be out until January. Both of those guys missed today. Uh, so not the biggest loss. They will get Shane Duffy back from yellow card suspension, but now they're losing Basuma. So it's really, Neil Maupay has COVID. Pascal Gross has COVID. I mean, I feel like half of our handicapping now is just pulling up the injury report and then reading off who's injured and who's not. I mean, it's crazy the number of players that aren't available. And for that reason, I'm staying away. We don't know who's available for United. We don't know if Brighton has 11 good players they can run out there on Saturday. So it's a really tricky spot and I'm staying away entirely at this point. If we get to game day and, you know, some of these guys that have COVID like Malpe are back, might look at some Brighton, but otherwise staying away. 10 a.m. kickoff at the London Stadium, West Ham, minus 300 odds on favorites against Norwich City, plus 850, the draw, plus 425, uh, Norwich City, zero goals on 2.56 expected goals in their last three matches. Meanwhile, West Ham, they're all over the place since they beat Liverpool really a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago now. I think it's Norwich City or nothing here, but like with the other teams, I'm going to, I'm going to stay away. I think Norwich gets on the board. I think that's the important thing here is they are generating enough chances where they should be scoring a goal a game or a goal every other game, which yeah, that's not great. But when you're looking at a team plus 850, you're asking yourself, can this team score? And I think they can against the West Ham back line that we've touched on a lot is uh, depleted and has been struggling just a little bit, allowing teams like Arsenal ran rampant a little bit over them today. Uh, so it's Norwich or nothing for me right now. Probably pass, but if this number continues to tick up, I'm going to unfortunately be with Dean Smith and the boys. Anthony, what do you have for this one? Yeah, I like Dean Smith and the boys here on the road. Look, West Ham is clearly not quite the level of the rest of the top, you know, six teams in terms of overall squad depth and talent and credit to David Moyes for doing an excellent job, but it's starting to look like they're not quite on the level. And that's been very evident the last four or five matches, I think. And they had a good result against Chelsea and what I thought was a solid performance, but only seven passes into the penalty area against Burnley 
only three against Chelsea, only seven against Brighton. That's a team that prior to that was averaging well over 10 a game. So you're not seeing quite as much ball possession, quite as much dominance of those lower sides that you'd expect to see from West Ham. So I'm going with Norwich plus one and a half here. You mentioned the attacking numbers on Norwich. I mean, they never score. A lot of that's Josh Sargent. He's out with COVID. And so that might actually be, a, a you know, not that it's a positive that he has COVID, but it is a positive for the Norwich attack in the sense that they'll be able to give some guys who weren't getting as many minutes uh, some chances. Ozan Kabak, I thought, played pretty well for Norwich. Uh, he's, you know, been starting more, uh, or at least got a start and will be starting more going forward. And so my my projections make this about 1.1. And so I'm okay taking 1.5 at minus 125, taking Norwich. I don't think West Ham's going to be able to get margin here. Yeah, we have seen Dean Smith do a pretty decent job with the defense, although they looked a little bit of a mess when Aston Villa was going forward this past week. Uh, moving on, Southampton, plus 105, hosting Brentford, the Bees. Buzz, Brentford's plus 255, the draws plus 260, 10 a.m. kickoff. Brentford is one of the teams with uh, one of six teams right now with a positive expected goal differential per 90 on the season. It's just been a really impressive first season for them. Thomas Frank has done a great job. They're on the same page. They know exactly what they're doing. They all play within their roles. That stuff, I think, really does matter and helps. But I think the key to this handicap is Brentford's defense. They are a really solid, like Anthony had said throughout the show. Maybe their numbers were unsustainable for an entire season. And yeah, that's probably true. But that doesn't mean that they're going to just crater. And they haven't really. And when you're playing Southampton, you want to be able, as a team, to prevent scoring chances because Southampton create scoring chances, but they also give up a lot. So I think the matchup here is good. Brentford, strong defense against a good chance creating offense of Southampton. Brentford can handle a press too. We saw it against teams like, uh, you know, Liverpool and et cetera. So like, I, I think this is a good matchup for the bees. I know neither one of you guys are too hot on it right now, but BJ, is there anything you can pull out from this one? Yeah, I, I lean towards Brentford, but I'm going to need a way better number for it. Ivan Tony will be back, which is good news for the Bees, you know, provide more attacking talent up front. The biggest thing, though, is that, you know, I know they've played well through the press versus some teams, but overall for the season, 17th in pressure success rate allowed and 14th in offensive pass per defensive action. So they looked a lot better, obviously, their last match that we've seen against Watford playing through their press, but Watford's one of the worst pressing teams in the Premier League. So going against Southampton's press, it does concern me a little bit that they might not be able to get out of their own half. I really just honestly need a better number on this one for Brentford. If I can get them, I don't know if we'll ever get there, but if I get them, uh, you know, plus half a goal at a decent number, uh, I'm probably going to play it. The interesting thing about this for me is that Brentford's away numbers just aren't quite there. Uh, they've been very good at the Brentford Community Stadium, taking off some pretty big teams not quite that same level of production away from home. And, and that's uh, that's why I'm staying away here. If anything, I lean towards the under, because I do think Brentford can defend Southampton, but I don't really see them you know, scoring a bunch here. And, and that keeps me off the money line. Yeah, I think Southampton's offense, like you said, it's, it's about a, can you defend against Southampton? I think they can. They allowed one and a half expected goals in a 2-2 draw against Palace that they probably were a little lucky to eke out two great goals from uh, Southampton. So I I just think that the, I think the number is good enough on Brentford in, in this matchup because I think they're going to get on the board against a leaky defense. And then I trust their defense to protect that lead, whether it's 1-0, 2-1, whatever it is. Moving on to Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa minus 135, hosting Burnley plus 370 on the money line. The draw is plus 285, another 10 a.m. kickoff. On Saturday morning, I think it's a funny thing that's happening with Steven Gerrard. Uh, the way soccer Twitter is, especially Premier League Twitter, when uh, someone like Gerrard 
who you know we've seen it with like Frank Lampard or you know Andrea Pirlo, whoever it is. When a when a former big star takes over a team, everybody really really wants to just sink their teeth in and tear him down. And for Gerard, he's been impressive, and now everyone's just throwing laurels at him left and right. Uh, so I do think that this number they'd be good too. By the way, like they they've allowed under one expected goals in three out of his five matches in the Premier League, and the two that they didn't were against City and Liverpool. However, I just think this number is a little too rich on Villa. Is Burnley likely to win this one? No, that's why they're a big underdog, but they're a tough team. They're like they're a tough team to prepare for. They're a bit of an outlier in a league, in the Premier League. And Sean Dyche, I think, is actually underrated at this point as a manager, despite where Burnley is on the table. So I think it's a good sell high spot on Aston Villa, a team who still, like their offensive numbers are still not great under Gerard, but their defensive numbers are strong. But I think Burnley could get on the board, whether it's on a set piece or however they manage to, and hopefully hold on for dear life. So I'm going to take a shot, Burnley, on the money line here. Anthony, are you coming with me? Yeah, I mean, clearly the, the price is inflated on Villa, uh, and I, I lean towards Burnley as well, plus a half. Maxwell Cornet looks like he's going to be back for this match, which he's critically important for the Burnley attack. Uh, Villa's going to be without marvelous Nakamba, one, great name. Two, great defensive midfielder who does a lot of ball winning uh, for Villa, and he was uh, injured in the middle of the game last time around uh, in the win against Norwich. So losing him hurts. But Villa seems to be really in a comfortable spot the way they've been playing in the sense that they have a, a pretty defined 11 and then they've kept most of that 11 relatively healthy. And that's why you're seeing the improved performances defensively and they're getting more out of Ollie Watkins now. This is the definition of the new manager bounce, but there's always a time when a team becomes a little overinflated and that's what we've got here with Villa. And uh, I'm probably going to end up staying away, but if we get to, you know, minus 145, minus 150 on Villa, then I'll be taking some Burnley. Might even get a plus one with a little juice. I really like that because I don't think Villa's going to be able to get margin here, uh, but lean towards Burnley for, for now. I'm staying away. Uh, Burnley had their match postponed this week, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's another, you know, another team, maybe a, a rest, good rest spot for them as well. BJ, what do you see in this one? Yeah, I'm gonna. I've already uh, played Burnley minus or plus half a goal at plus one fifteen. I think the price is good enough right now, especially with Maxwell Cornet back. Like anything mentioned, it. I mean, this is just a classic. Aston Villa is overvalued. And, you know, they've been good under Gerrard minus 0.5 expected goal differential in his six matches in charge. But you know, granted, two of them were against Manchester City and Liverpool, so you kind of gotta give them a little bit of a boost there. But Aston Villa overall for the season, I understand they've been more organized and better defensively. They're really bad against corners. 4.3 expected goals allowed off corners uh, this season, which is one of the highest marks in the Premier League. And that's how Burnley obviously creates most of their chances. They're also middle of the road and defending crosses. And Burnley has the most crosses this season. So Burnley will have some advantages offensively. And I do think they'll be able to create a few high quality chances. The rest, I think, will be very beneficial to the Clarets in this one. And I only have Aston Villa projected at even money. So I love Burnley plus half a goal if you can get plus 115 or better. Yeah, I mean, if you go back and look at Burnley's results, they had the snow out against Spurs. So they didn't play uh, the 28th. Then they had the midweek match against Wolves, which was a nil-nil thriller. Then they had the one-nil loss to Newcastle, another thriller at the weekend. And then uh, another weekend match last weekend, the nil-nil draw with West Ham, which I thought they were the better team in. Uh, and then they get another midweek match canceled and then they'll have another weekend match. So Burnley have now not either not played or scored in, in their last five matches. Uh, and so it's pretty it's been a while since Burnley fans have had something to celebrate here. But I do think, uh, you know, maybe they'll get on the board here if Cornet is back. He really improves that attack. And, and like BJ mentioned with the crosses and the set pieces, Villa has been a little better on set pieces. But, you know, at a certain point, Burnley's that's how they score goals. And that's, that's what they do. And so it's very difficult to, uh, to keep them off of the set pieces, especially in a spot where, like we mentioned, Villa's a bit overpriced. 
Moving on to Watford, plus 220 at home, hosting Crystal Palace, plus 125. The draws plus 250. Another 10 a.m. kickoff on Saturday morning. Watford's going through some COVID stuff. Crystal Palace is coming off Southampton, in which they probably should have won. That's a, been a common theme for Palace for much of at least this stretch of the season. This one is tough for me. I don't think there's much value. I would say that there's a little, maybe a shred of value on Palace just because we don't know what's going on with Watford at the moment. However, I'm going to stay away. It does beg repeating. We said it on the last one from Watford. Last five games, 12 goals allowed and 21 total goals in those games. They've been a little roller coaster ride matches. But Anthony, you're seeing this one play out a little differently. Yeah, look, uh, anytime you're playing an under with the worst defense in the Premier League, you kind of have to hold your nose a little bit. But it's really about Palace not being quite as good on the road and not being able to take this game to Watford like they would potentially if this game were played at Selhurst Park. Palace have only created in eight road matches 7.6 expected goals. That's considerably worse than they've created at home. And, And they've had a pretty even schedule of home and away matches. That even includes a win they had at Manchester City when they created a little over one expected goal against them. They just haven't quite had the same kind of juice uh, away from home. And I think it's going to be very difficult for them to dominate the midfield in this match. Also, on the other side, Watford's attack has been pretty solid, but they will not have Ishmael Assar, who is out. I know Emmanuel Dennis has played well, but they've also only created 0.6 and 0.7 expected goals their last two matches and only won in the match before that. So they had some encouraging performances, but I think, you know, they brought in Ranieri. The attack got way better. They were averaging almost a full expected goal more per match for about, and now we're starting to see, okay, you know, water's finding its level again, and this attack is not going to be one of the best in the league like it was for, for about a month. So I think this is a good time here. You're getting a Watford attack trending downward and a Palace attack that isn't nearly as good on the road. So hold your nose, play some under two and a half, and hope the Palace uh, doesn't give up two wonder goals again. And that game flies over. The 12.30 p.m. kickoff on Saturday features Leeds United, who were off a squeaker 7-0 loss to Manchester City. Just lost that one. They're plus 235. Arsenal, plus 115, traveling to Elland Road. The draw is plus 270. Oh, this Arsenal team is just the worst to, to try to figure out. Uh, I'm staying away from this one. Don't want to try to figure out Arsenal, whether they're on the uptick or the downtick, because it's just driving me nuts right now. But it is a funny situation on this podcast because BJ, you're an Arsenal fan, uh, the Arsenal tragic. Anthony is a Spurs fan here, uh, but you guys are kind of swapping roles in terms of uh, your where your wallets are going. So, Anthony, let's start with you making the case for the Gunners, your beloved Gunners. Yeah, you know, I really wish Arsenal hadn't won 2-0 on Wednesday and Leeds hadn't lost by 7 on Tuesday because uh, had we had some more normal results, maybe like a home draw for Arsenal and a you know 2-0 defeat for Leeds, this would be a really good spot for Arsenal because I do think stylistically uh, with with if they put Odegaard, Smith Rowe in this team, they have a ton of passing and can kind of pass through the Leeds press. And that's a lot what we saw last year when these two teams played in the spring. In the fall when they played, this was before kind of the youth movement of Arsenal. Leeds kind of pressed them, caused a lot of issues, dominated the match, uh, ended nil-nil, but really Leeds should have won it. When they played in the spring, Arteta had some more time, got his little, you know, passing system set up and it really caused a lot of issues for Leeds and they scored five goals. Uh, and so I think that can work. The problem is you're, I mean, you're getting the worst possible situation here. You're getting Arsenal off a huge home win where they dominated West Ham and you're getting, you're, you're trying to fade Leeds off of a game where yes, they were really terrible conceded about three expected goals, but 
seven is a, is a scary number to look at. And, and clearly there's going to be an overreaction in the market and in the public perception of leads based off of that. So it's very hard to bet Arsenal here. I also think the addition of, of Martinelli into the lineup is making them way better. I mean, he's just like another guy who can get good shot numbers. They don't really have that with Lacazette and Alba kind of struggling Alba's out of the favor right now. Lacazette's numbers are in decline. They need a second guy to get shots. It's not really Saka. Smith Rowe's not really that guy either, but Martinelli looks like that guy and he scored today. And I think he's been really impressive. He might be their best attacker right now. Uh, and so I think that's raises Arsenal's ceiling. And in a matchup like this, leads a lot of questions surrounding Bielsa. Now I, I lean towards the gunners, believe it or not. Uh, but I, I'm going to, probably begrudgingly end up staying away, but I, I definitely lean that way. It's just a really bad, like, I feel like I'm selling, selling low and buying high on the gunners and, and leads here. BJ, you do have the intestinal fortitude to back a team coming off a, a seven nil drubbing, don't you? Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't do it with Gruther last week, but uh, no, I, this is really difficult. Like Anthony mentioned, you know, just staring at seven nil and obviously watching that game in Manchester City could have picked whatever score they wanted. Arsenal obviously looked great against Southampton playing through their press. They looked pretty good, obviously good against West Ham today. The biggest thing that in this match that I have question marks with Arsenal, especially defensively, if Leeds is able to win the ball and have it, Arsenal's press has not been great at all this season. We talked about it at length. They're 19th in passes per defensive action and 17th in pressure success rate. Leeds has typically really, really struggled against teams that will press them high and press them at a high rate. So if we go back and we look at their matches against Liverpool, Brighton, Southampton, and Manchester City, essentially basically the best pressing teams in the Premier League, they allowed over two expected goals in every single one of those matches. So facing an Arsenal team that's not really going to press them that much when they're, you know, when Arsenal is sitting back defensively, they usually are in type of a 4-4-2 type shape. So they don't really get out and press that much, which means Leeds should, should be able to create some high quality chances. But then again, it's very hard to just stare at, at seven, nothing, especially after how, you know, good Arsenal looked against West Ham, especially in that first half to back leads, but I'll back leads plus half a goal, but I'm going to wait on this number and hopefully the market overreacts to Arsenal's win against West Ham. Uh, and I get leads, you know, plus half a goal at, you know, maybe minus 110 or even money. Uh, that's kind of where I'm looking at. But so if I can get that, I'm going to play it. But other than that, I'm going to stay away. Yeah. If Calvin so, Phillips is in the midfield. I, I, I have a hard right. time trusting leads. And, and the one thing that I will note, kind of goes against my pick Arsenal 19th and expected goal difference away from home fifth at home. So they've been much better at home uh, at, at the Emirates than they've been on the road uh, definitely has to be considered because we just saw Arsenal's last road match when they went up to Everton, a pretty shorthanded Everton and, and looked absolutely flat. So it's not a good matchup for Leeds, but it is a good spot for them. And I think that makes it really interesting. Yeah. Arsenal's allowed 16.2 expected goals on the road in eight road matches. Only team that has more, their opponent leads. So we'll see what happens. And we will flip the page to Sunday morning, 7 a.m. kickoff. Shorthanded Everton, as Anthony was just noting there, plus 195 home underdogs hosting Leicester City. We're also going to probably be shorthanded depending on how this COVID situation uh, settles with them. They're plus 150. The draws were sitting plus 230. This Everton team is just not fun to watch, to bet on, to do anything with right now and hasn't been since September. They are thin everywhere now Seamus Coleman for Charleston probably out Luca Dean is fallen out of favor with manager Rafael Benitez for some reason even though he's one of their best three players on the roster so that's always good so it's a uh, really tough to back this Everton team right now and it's also tough to back what we know about them right now which is not that much considering they have a COVID outbreak they tried to get their 
game with Tottenham postponed didn't work. I think the over is where I would look right now because ever we we know Everton can create chances. They can score one goal. They can usually claw one out through you know whether it's Damari Gray dribbling, someone just throwing the ball at Solomon Rondon's shins. Some way they can obviously taking Richarlison out of the equation is not ideal for the over. And same with Andros Townsend. But I still trust Everton to probably get on the board. I do not trust them to keep Leicester off the board, depending on who is in the lineup. So depending on how these things shake out, I think the over two and a half at minus one hundred five is at least interesting. But really, I would just like Everton's season to be canceled more than anything. Uh, Anthony. How about you? I mean, Leicester's playing Tottenham on Thursday, so we don't know the result of that. I can't wait to watch it uh, because I, I fired in the app over two and a half. I know this is the weekend preview, but this will come out Thursday morning. Uh, Leicester does not have any available healthy center backs for this match as of now. Fafana's been out. Evans appears he's going to miss. He may be back for the weekend against Everton. Siunchu, same thing. He's going to miss tomorrow on Thursday against Spurs, but he may be back for Everton Sunday. It's still unclear. Uh, Daniel Amarty is questionable. looks like he's going to start at center back. Uh, Vestigard is out with an illness. Iosi Perez also out. Uh, Iannaccio is out. Um, there's so many players in this Leicester defense that are out, and they have been awful, awful defending set pieces all year, worse in the league, uh, conceding tons of goals off of them. That's how they lost to Villa recently. Uh, that's how they lost to Brighton. So this is a team who isn't defending set pieces. The goalkeeper play has been pretty poor from Schmeichel. Huge red flags defensively. So, you know, the over is the only look here for me as well, because like you mentioned, Everton's defense, very inconsistent. Depending on the COVID outbreak for Leicester, who's going to be out in attack, we don't know necessarily. But I think this one's going to end up being a pass until at least we see what the defender situation is for Leicester. Because until we know, you know, okay, this guy's going to play and this guy's going to play and they have a decent enough pairing, they're going to be starting academy guys or, you know, putting fullbacks and center back. It could get ugly. A 9 a.m. kickoff on Sunday features Wolves hosting Chelsea. Wolverhampton's plus 600 on the money line. Chelsea traveling to the black country at minus 200. The draw is plus 320. We've been talking about this Chelsea team a lot, about how yeah, third best team in the Premier League, I think, by a pretty far stretch. The, the gap between them and the West Ham's, Arsenal's, and Tottenham's of the world, Manchester United, is pretty wide. However, I do think that they are beatable and we will start seeing teams pull results on them, whether it's a whatever. And I think this one could set up that way because we've seen Wolves hang with some good teams. Whether, and a lot of times it is just through some heroic defending in front of their own net. But this is a team that has the talent to score when they try. Uh, we saw it against Brighton today. They did win 1-0. So I do think that the number, especially at home, is good enough at 6-1 to one for a Wolves, like a little nibble on Wolves here. I like going against this Chelsea team when they're big price. So I'm going to keep doing it. BJ, anything for you here? Yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards Wolves plus one, but I need a better number. You know, Chelsea's obviously getting healthier and Golo Conte came back training. Chaloba came back to training. They're really only guys are going to be without on Thursday, I believe is just going to be Ben Chilwell and uh, Kovacic. So with Chelsea finally getting healthy, you know, their defensive regression has obviously came in waves. I think they'll start to get a little bit better now that everybody's healthy. The big thing in this one, though, is kind of just from a price standpoint. So Wolves close at seven to one uh, at home against Liverpool, you know, a few weeks ago. Chelsea is not on the same level as Liverpool right now, and they're getting dangerously close to that same price. So if I can get Wolves plus one uh, at even money, that's just purely, you know, from a numbers play, that's just going to be some value on that, given 
how good Wolves has been defensively this season. Obviously, they gave over, you know, five and a half combined expected goals to Man City and Liverpool. And Chelsea, you know, probably could create that as well. But, you know, the Wolves attacking attack showed a little bit more life today, 1.1 expected goals, which is a lot better than what they have been doing. Raul Jimenez will be back for suspension. So there are some things that Wolves can do, especially getting forward with Triore to get behind the defense to maybe, you know, get a goal on the board. But other than that, if I can't get Wolves plus one and even money or better, it's pass for me. Anthony. Are you looking the same way here or do you see anything in this one that interests you? Yeah, you know, that Everton fade Chelsea spot is looking worse and worse by the day. That game's also on Thursday, but Everton's uh, injury crisis is really making that a difficult spot. But I, I think Sunday against Ever- uh, Chelsea at home is, is a pretty decent spot for Wolves who have performed well against the, the bigger sides. They gave up a ton of expected goals to Manchester City, but a lot of that came after the red card to Jimenez right before halftime. And uh, that was a road trip to City, which is a much tougher fixture at the moment than the way Chelsea's been playing. I understand that N'Golo Kante is likely going to be back on Sunday. That being said, I wonder, heading into the festive fixtures, how much is Tuchel going to be managing his minutes? He may not go the full 90. And Chelsea just hasn't been dominant enough to warrant them being full goal favorites against one of the better defenses in the league. And so I, I, I took some Wolves plus one. Uh, may look to play some Wolves team total as well. Still have a ton of regression coming. They hit the post and the crossbar today. Really could have been a couple of goals. They had another few counterattacks, three-on-ones that they just completely fluffed. And uh, Adama Traore still looking for that first goal or assist of the season, but he's been around so many good chances that eventually he's going to start you know, producing more. And it looks like he may start as well because of the injury to Huang Hee Chen. He went off injured today. So it, it looks like uh, Wolves are... Decent team who might get on the board here, but I really just think that this is going to be a tight game. My number, I have Chelsea plus 0.8 in my number, 0.81. And so I think uh, at almost even money, it's minus 105 right now. I already took some Wolves plus one. And how about this one? Newcastle United hosting Manchester City. Newcastle is 12 to one on the money line. City coming back at minus 475. The draw is plus 650. A 9.15 a.m. kickoff on Sunday morning. And like I said, we were recording this before the Newcastle-Liverpool match, but I'm going to sum that one up for you anyways. Wow, Newcastle, they just got played off the park. Six in the goals for Liverpool. That was great. Um, and I think we could see a similar situation here for City, who just put up a touchdown and kicked the extra point against Leeds. Uh, God, I, I mean, how high, I guess is the right question here, is how high does this number have to get for either one of you to be interested in Newcastle United. BJ, we can start with you. Three and a half is probably <laughs> the number. Uh, I'd say just go re-listen to our Newcastle Liverpool analysis last pod, and then, you know, you'll be good. I, I just, man, <laughs> I, the, the biggest thing that I kind of noticed, obviously, on Tuesday with City putting up so many goals, like they're obviously with this close of a title race with expect with, uh, you know, goal differential actually mattering, they're still two behind uh, Liverpool and goal differential. So if city has a chance to, you know, to run up the score, they absolutely will. So if you want to chase like a city, like minus five <laughs> or five and a half or something to get uh, a decent price, or maybe just chase like a team total, like over four and a half or something like that, that might be the play. I don't really think there's a number high enough for me to actually play Newcastle uh, in this match. And, you know, obviously we don't know what's going to happen against Liverpool, but I mean, it's probably going to be really bad. So probably just to stay away from me, unless I want to chase um, some of those city, you know, high spreads or totals. I can't remember what Champions League game it was this season that I bet City over four and a half. Bruce, yeah. And, uh, that was fun. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's that's what it is, right? Like when when in a match like this, 
if you do want to watch and have like skin in the game, I think that's the best way to do it is just bet something like, I mean, what's more fun than betting on Manchester city to try to score five goals against Newcastle United. Maybe uh, get relegated. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony, uh, you might actually do it. I guess you saw my little note there. Uh, go Liverpool tomorrow. Hopefully they run up the score. We can get a two and a half. If we do, I will be firing on the magpies at home uh, where I think there, there's a good feeling about it, about the Eddie Howe situation, and they they seem to have a lot of crowd support. They've given good efforts when they played at home. Uh, and look, I mean, I don't like the matchup, but I'd have to play the number at two and a half. So that's my buy point, two and a half, minus 115-ish, and I'm in on the Magpies. But right now at two, very, very happy to sit it out. They're not going to win by seven every game. I mean, City City's dominant, and they created three expected goals. They also took every chance and – scored every everything it seemed um and I, I don't think they'll do that every match so you kind of have to just bite the bullet and then swallow the two and a half if you get to it it, it would have been fun knowing that it was city and liverpool back to back um if a book out there posted like a newcastle versus liverpool and city spread and you know can they keep it to six and a half or something uh that that yeah, would i think been... i would take the six i think i would i think i would be hesitant to take the six and a half yeah, I'd have yeah, to be I like, mean, I, I think one of them they will get they will get one of them score. And I think they're more yeah, likely yeah. to get rolled at at Anfield right. than they are at home against Man City. And obviously that's priced in, but Anfield, especially after City put up seven, I think there's more of an incentive for Liverpool to run up the score. And hopefully Liverpool runs up the score so much that we get a better price on Tottenham on Sunday, which uh, I did not mention originally in the handicap when we spoke spoke about it, but also something to watch. If Liverpool gets like two to one or minus two hundred, excuse me then I'll be probably firing on my, my Spurs on Sunday. On that note, we move to Germany and the Bundesliga, home of the favorite team of this podcast. It's Gru- Gru- Greuther Firth. I vote Firth. Greuther Firth. I'm, I've been slowly get, learning from a German listener how to pronounce it, and I've already forgotten. So I apologize for that. But uh, I'll start here with my favorite bet in Germany this week is Dortmund laying one goal plus 105 against Hertha Berlin. When laying the juice or laying the goal with Dortmund, I like to do it against teams that off, that's offense won't be able to punish Dortmund's pedestrian defense. Hertha Berlin is one of them. So I have no qualms laying the minus one with the black and yellow here. BJ, what do you have? I like mines plus half a goal at minus 140. Frankfurt is really overvalued in the spot at home. They may have just beaten Gladbach. Uh, on Wednesday on the road, but the expected goals, that was pretty much even. And one of their starting defenders, Tuta, got a red card. Uh, overall for the season, Frankfurt has really been struggling to create high-quality chances, even if they were be able, able to beat Gladbach's defense, which has just been Swiss cheese uh, so far in the last you know month or so. They're only averaging 1.27 non-penalty expected goals per match, which is 10th in the Bundesliga, and they're going up against one of the best defensive teams in Germany. Mines is second in non-penalty expected goals allowed, third in shots allowed per 90, and first in big scoring chance allowed, conceding only nine in 16 matches. The Frankfurt defense is really susceptible to giving up big scoring chances. They've, they're have they 15th in the Bundesliga in that metric. They're allowing 1.65 non-penalty expected goals per match. Mines has created the fifth most big scoring chances, so I think that this price is way, way too high on Frankfurt, and it's a really good um, sell-high spot for them. I have mines projected as a slight favorite, so I love the value at plus half a goal at minus 140. Anthony, what about you? Yeah, you know, BJ just taunting me about Gladbach now. Uh, just unbelievable how bad. And, and and it's amazing how much they're underperforming at both ends of the pitch at this point. They're bad. Their I can't wait till they so fire bad. 
I can't wait till they fire Hooter and then we can get the new manager bounce. And then I bet them every week uh, because they're the fifth or sixth best team by expected goals. They're sitting in 13th. Um, just unbelievable. That being said, my favorite pick in the Bundesliga, you don't have to wait till the weekend because it's Friday afternoon. Bayern is hosting Wolfsburg. Both teams to score. Yes. Minus 125. You can find that at DraftKings. Just way too low. Uh, my number is minus 151. And so I have a ton of value on both teams to score here. I understand that Bayern's defense has improved this year, but Wolfsburg has some attacking regression coming. One, two, no Joshua Kimmich has made this midfield in Bayern way more open, starting some backups in the midfield. We've seen a bunch of Tolisso. Uh, we, Goretzka's been in and out of the lineup. Musiala was starting at central midfielder, and I love Musiala, but he's not a central midfielder. Uh, they also started Hernandez and Sula because Upa Meccano did not play in the last match against Stuttgart. They dominated Stuttgart, but they were a little lucky not to concede. Stuttgart got in behind a few times. So I think Wolfsburg will be able to get on the board here. Bayern will score, as they always do. Uh, and, and I think at minus 125, that's just way too cheap. So I grabbed that right away. And uh, that's that's where I'm going. So I don't even have to wait for the weekend. We're heading into the break for uh, my favorite league, the Bundesliga. And so we will not have any Bundesliga until January. So a nice little send-off with some both teams to score. Syria, uh, now, uh, BJ, let's start with you in Italy. What's your favorite bet there? Yeah, I love Torino plus 125 against Verona. Torino is one of the biggest underperforming teams in Europe, but they're starting to get some of that positive regression back. They got a deserving 2-1 win against Bologna this past weekend. They're one of the best defensive teams in Serie A, allowing only 0.82 non-penalty expected goals per match, which is the third best mark in the league. They're also third in shots allowed per 90 minutes and first in preventing crosses into their own penalty area. But the biggest thing for this matchup is Torino is the best pressing team in Italy. They're first in passes for defensive action and ball recoveries while Verona they're 17th in pressure success rate allowed and dead last in ball recoveries allowed. So Torino should be able to win the ball in the middle of the pitch and create some chances going forward on the counter. Verona is overperforming drastically offensively, mainly due to Giovanni Simeone, Diego Simeone's son, uh, but they've scored 33 goals off of 23.3 expected goals. So going against one of the best defensive teams in Serie A, some of that negative aggression is likely going to come this weekend. Torino offensively has been pretty good, seventh in non-penalty expected goals, and they have created the third most big scoring chances while Verona uh, is 14th in big scoring chances allowed. I have Torino projected at minus 114, so I love the value on them at plus 125 at home to get all three points. Anthony, what do you have for us in Serie A this weekend? Yeah, the game of the weekend in uh, Italy, Milan against Napoli, on Sunday, Milan and Napoli have two of the four best attacks based on goals. But when you look at their goals versus their expected goals, there's clear regression coming for both attacks. Uh, Victor Osimen is out. He's going to be out for a while. The Napoli attack has not been nearly as good at creating chances without him. They've scored 34 goals from 27 expected this year. So running a good 20% over their numbers. Same thing with Milan, 36 goals from 28 expected. Milan also will not have Raphael layout until January. So he's out. He's an underrated part of this Milan attack. It looks like Giroud's going to miss as well. Milan, the last five matches, uh, Sassuolo, one expected goal. Genoa, one expected goal. Sauernitana, one of the worst teams in, the, in Italy, 2.9 expected goals. Good performance there. And then against Liverpool's backups at home, 0.9. And against Udinese, they stole that result in the last week. Uh, one expected goal as well. We're seeing that they're just not putting up the same numbers they were early in the season. They're one, they're dealing with some injuries, but two, guys were playing above their talent levels and it's starting to come back down to earth and, and the finishing will follow along with that. And so I think it's going to be a tight game. I understand that Napoli has 
you know, some defenders out, but they also still have the best defense in Italy by expected goals allowed. And so I think uh, it's a good spot here with Napoli, who has conceded a lot of goals from not a ton of chances lately uh, to sure up the defense a little bit and uh, make this a low scoring game has a one, one kind of vibe to it. Uh, and so I like under two and a half at even money. Now on to La Liga. Uh, I'll start here. Sevilla's plus 180 against Atletico Madrid at home. This is Saturday, 3 p.m. kickoff. I like Sevilla as much as I was tempted uh, by the draw in this matchup. I think that Sevilla deserves to be a slight, slightly bigger home favorite against Atleti. Uh, the, the numbers are relatively close, or they're very close throughout the season in terms of defense, uh, underlying metrics, everything that I look for in a team at this kind of number. And the Sevilla team is just, they tug at my heartstrings. I usually, when I bet them, they lose, but I'm going to go back to them and back them at home, like I said, against an Atletico team that uh, their best way of winning usually is by getting a little bit lucky, a little shithousery. Uh, and that that does that formula does work, especially under Simeone. We've seen it for a long time here. So give me Sevilla at plus 180. BJ, do you have anything in La Liga for us? Yeah, I like, uh, you know, kind of one of our teams of the podcast now, Athletic Bilbao, plus 105 against Real Betis. Perfect buy low spot on Athletic Bilbao and sell high spot on Real Betis. Bilbao has been incredibly unlucky as of late. We've been betting them and they've been basically outclassing their opponents, but not winning. They are winless in their last eight matches, but they have won the expected goal battle combined 11.2 to 7.8. So they are way overdue for a win, especially at home. They play a very similar style to that of Atletico Madrid playing out of a 4-4-2, staying very organized, compact defensively, and it's worked this season because they're one of the best defensive teams in Spain, allowing only 0.79 non-penalty expected goals for match. And the biggest thing in this one, with a 4-4-2, it, basically what they're trying to do is they're obviously trying to clog up the middle of the pitch, force their opponents to you know play the ball wide and beat them with crosses. Well, Real Betis has only has, the or sorry, their 17th and crosses completed into the 18-yard box this, this season so far. So they're most of what they're attacking is going right through the middle of the pitch. So I don't think they'll be able to create the chances like they normally have against some other opponents. Their defense, Real Betis' defense, has been very fortunate. They're due for some negative regression. They've allowed only 16 goals off of 21 expected goals, and they also have allowed 23 big scoring chances, uh, which is the third most in La Liga, while Athletic Bilbao has created the fourth most big scoring chances. So Really, really good spot for one of our favorite teams, Athletic Bilbao, to get a result or get all three points here at home. I have them projected at minus 107. So if you can find plus 105 or better, I think there's some value on that. Yeah, two goals from seven expected in their last six matches. It's yep. pretty remarkable. Uh, they cannot score. They are killing me, uh, but I will probably be joining BJ on that. It might even do an alt spread, a little minus one and a half uh, on that match too, because I agree. I like Bilbao. It's funny uh, you said that, Anthony. So when we were, when, we prepared for this podcast. We have a Google Doc. We share it. Uh, BJ was first. Uh, I was looking to back Bill Bow. Uh, they were plus one ten at the, the time too. So I, I like that number down to that to that point. So it looks like a grouper on the team from the Basque Country. So that's nice. Now let's move on to our favorite underdog. Uh, and this is a part of the program where I will always warn you to tread lightly here, as these teams are underdogs and for a reason. I'm going to kick it off. There are some injury concerns. There's some COVID concerns on the other side of the matchup, but I like Brighton at five to one over Manchester United. They are good enough to hang with these type of teams and their defense should be good enough to keep them in the game. And as long as they can drag United deep into the contest on Saturday morning, maybe they can nick a win, a one nil, maybe two, one win over the red devils, who I think are just a little bit inflated because of the new manager bounce under Ralph Ragnick. So Give me the Seagulls, man, five to one. And if that game, by the way, gets postponed for COVID, 
I would say Burnley was very, I was having a really tough time deciding between Brighton and Burnley. So that, that would just be, you know, a little sneaky backup pick. Anthony, your favorite underdog. <laughs> you knew I couldn't stay away for long. Uh, Greuterfurt is two to one at home against Osberg, Luckbox, uh, Fraudsburg stole a result today against Leipzig, conceded over three expected goals, stole the result on a penalty. Uh, this defense is horrible. I actually think Furt is a even team with them. When you look at the expected goals, my projections uh, coming into the season was higher on Furt than I was to Osberg. Expected goal difference, minus 0.77 per 90 for uh, Osberg, minus 0.93 for Furt. Furt uh, actually played pretty well against Dortmund today. They lost 3-0, uh, but the expected goals battle suggested it probably should have been about two to maybe a half a goal. Uh, for Furt. So, you know, playing on the road against the second best team in the league and only losing by a goal and a half, actually a pretty encouraging result, given they were plus two and then three quarters on the spread. Uh, it was an unfortunate beat if you had the plus 2.75. I cashed my first bet of the season on them on the under four today. So I'm feeling really good. And I think at home at plus 200, they should not be that big of an underdog against uh, Osberg, who, who really, quite frankly, stinks. And I think Furt is showing some fight. So at two to one, Greuter, Furt. I'm going to put the uh, the bet in the app after we finish recording this, and then I may shed a tear just for how far we've come on <laughs> Furt. BJ, close out this three-leg underdog parlay for us. Yeah, so unfortunately, there's no league on uh, this weekend, so I can't fade Stadarim, so I'll go next on my list and fade Fiorentina. Uh, they're taking on Sassuolo, so Sassuolo plus 310. Fiorentina, I mean, we said it. Some, I've said it so many times. They're a very highly overrated offense. They've scored 31 goals off of 25.7 expected goals. That's mainly due because they have Syria Oz leading goal scorer, Dusan Vlahovic, future Tottenham flop. Uh, the Serbian has scored 15 goals off of 9.2 expected goals. He's a good young striker, but he's not that good. Additionally, a lot of Fiorentina's success this season has come just obliterating the bottom of the table it, against the bottom seven teams in Syria A. They have 13.7 expected goals for and have only allowed 4.5 expected goals against the top 13 teams in Italy, only 12.7 expected goals and have allowed 16.2 in 10 matches. So they're taking on a Swiss solo side. That's really improving. They're unbeaten in their last five. They're currently sitting 11th place, but they got a convincing 2-1 win uh, against Lazio this past weekend. The offense has created the sixth most uh, big scoring chances in the league, which is huge because that's how you beat this Fiorentina back line that doesn't allow a lot of shots. They're second in Serie A in shots allowed per 90, but they are 11th in big scoring chances allowed. And if we purely just look at non-penalty expected goal differential because Fiorentina has been incredibly lucky with penalties, they've had six so far this season. Fiorentina sitting at plus 3.5. Sassuolo sitting at 1.8. So these two teams, even though there's six spots between them in the, in the table, they're really not that far off. I only have Fiorentina projected at plus 141. If you look at 538, they only have Fiorentina at 45%. Info goal actually has Sassuolo as a slight favorite. So I'm going to fade Fiorentina again, and I'm going to fade Vlahovic again. Give me Sassuolo plus 310. And if you wrap all three of these teams, that's Brighton. Greuther Furt and Sassuolo together. You're looking at a 73 to one parlay on the money line. So some good holiday cash for you. If all three of those teams come through. Now we will wrap this show up with our favorite bets in the English premier league this coming weekend. I'll start with bees 
the Brentford Bees, plus 240. Uh, they're taking on Southampton Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Like I said, I like to fade Southampton against teams with good defenses because, look, this the strength of this Southampton team is its offense, some, a team that can create a lot of chances going forward, but also is very leaky uh, in their own end. So I trust Brentford's defense to be able to withstand Southampton's offense, and I don't trust Southampton's defense to keep Brentford off the board. And that's what you're looking for at a number like this. It's plus 240 on the money line. And I like that number a lot. So give me Brentford, the bees buzz, buzz uh, against Southampton. Anthony, what is your favorite bet in the EPL this weekend? Yeah, back in the bottom of the table, Norwich plus one and a half against West Ham United. West Ham has seen a significant regression in the way that they're playing. They're not quite dominating the teams that they were early in the season. You can tell based on their possession numbers, based on their passes in the penalty area, based on their carries into the penalty area, all of them have been down considerably the last five to six matches, starting to play more like they did last year, which was a, a solid upper mid-table team, but not one that was really challenging for fourth or fifth. And that line currently, uh, with them being a little bit overvalued, suggests that they're playing more like a top four team against Norwich here, and they're really not. Uh, and so given that they have some attacking regression coming in terms of their finishing ability, and given that they're not playing quite as well as they were, Cal Antonio seems to be in a bit of a rut in terms of creating chances for him. I do not trust them to get margin here. And so I, I like the Canaries plus one and a half at minus 125. And BJ, before we get out of here, give the folks your favorite EPL bet this week. Liverpool minus one at plus 115 on the road at Tottenham on Sunday. Tottenham has been good under Antonio Conte in their four Premier League matches, 6.9 expected goals for, only 3.5 against, but they actually haven't really played a murderer's row. They faced an injury-riddled Everton squad, Leeds United, Brentford, and Norwich, so Liverpool is going to be a massive step up in, comp- uh, in competition. Spurs also dealing with some COVID-slash-injury-related uh, stuff right now. Going into this match, Brian Gill, Emerson, Hyungmin Son, Oliver Skip, Lucas Mora, Sergio Reguilon and Christian Romero are all going to be out. And that's a big problem, especially defensively against Liverpool, who's averaging 2.6 expected goals per match in the Premier League this season. The biggest thing, though, is if you're going to beat Liverpool, you have to be able to press them. And I'm not sure Tottenham is able to do that with how shorthanded they are. So it's hard for me to envision a scenario where Tottenham doesn't get pinned into their own final third and get overwhelmed by Liverpool's press. I think Liverpool could put two, potentially three on the board on Tottenham's defense with all these guys being out. So I love the Reds, minus one at plus 115. That will wrap up another episode of Wonder Goal. We thank you very much for listening, and we will see you again on Monday morning as we take a look at the Champions League round of 16. A nice early look there and talk about the midweek matches to come next week. Uh, so for BJ Cunningham, for Anthony DeBundo, I'm Michael Lieboff. Good luck with all your bets this weekend.